Hello, and welcome to Nerd vs. Nerd, the conversational podcast where we talk about the intersection of nerd culture and media with politics and identity. I'm Anjali. And I'm Mike. And today we're talking about See You Yesterday. Uh, if you haven't heard or seen this film, you definitely should. It just came out on Netflix about a week ago. Mm-hmm. And May 16th, I think. Maybe. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those of you who haven't seen it, we'll tell you a little bit about the, the premise of the movie. No spoilers for the first part of this episode. We'll let you know when we delve into our spoiler discussion. So See You Yesterday is a movie about some black teen geniuses in Brooklyn who create time travel. They invent time travel and they use time travel technology to try to go back in time and stop a police murder. Uh, and so the show, uh, the movie rather, uh, documents their various attempts to go back and stop police violence and sort of deals with some of the, the ethical and moral considerations of time travel technology. Uh, the creative team behind this movie is pretty exciting. So the director and co-writer is Stefan Bristol, and this is his first uh, movie debut. And, but then the producer of the movie is Spike Lee, who is actually a mentor to Bristol. And another interesting thing is that this movie started off as Bristol's master's thesis at NYU, and then it became a short, and then it became a full-fledged movie. And I think that's kind of exciting. Um, so why don't we talk about why this is the perfect time for this movie? Uh-huh. Um <laughs> So do you want to start, Mike? Yeah. So there are a lot of uh, recent, you know, movies or shows or like pop culture events uh, that sort of make this uh, a great time uh, for uh, See You Yesterday. You know, the first is is Endgame, and it sort of brought the the idea of time travel to the forefront of sort of the collective pop culture imagination um again you know like when was the last big time travel movie like i can't even think like hot tub time machines maybe (laughs) um so you have uh you have endgame bringing time travel back um and then also uh another marvel movie black panther which i think you should talk about yeah and so i think what we saw with last year's black panther movie is uh discussions about afrofuturism sort of hit the mainstream, you know, discussions Mm -hmm. of black speculative fiction and fantasy and uh, possibilities for sort of alternative realities for black people. And a lot of people were really excited about that aspect of Black Panther, seeing sort of a fictional black nation and just everything from advanced technology to uh, culture and fashion and sort of being able to expand and and broaden our imaginations of what black life could look like. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I would also say in addition to Black Panther last year, we had a number of movies as well as comics that brought to the forefront black teen characters, um, who are geniuses. And so, um, Miles Morales in, uh, into the spider versus mm-hmm. one and then in terms of comics we had riri williams aka Ironheart, and shuri so we saw last year all of these incredible black teen geniuses uh trying to make the world a better place and so it's in that context that we uh have this movie see you yesterday and i think it's exciting to see how this movie extends uh, some of those conversations around um, black kids and teens interested in STEM, um, concerned about social justice and sort of dealing at the intersection of science fiction and social justice. 
And another movie I think is worth mentioning from last year is The Hate You Give, where we have sort of, we see how uh, black teens are sort of wrestling with police violence in their communities and making sense of what's happening. Uh, which again, is not only in media, but in our broader world over the last few years, discussions around police brutality and police violence have really been at the forefront of a lot of national conversations. And so it's interesting that this movie, See You Yesterday, was sort of conceived of several years ago by the director and co-writer, and it, it comes out at, I think, the perfect time for this movie. And so this is not just black people in a science fiction movie. This is a black science fiction movie. You know, it's a real blend of different cultures and, and genres. And so... To put this in the context of other uh, time travel movies, think about all of the famous, you know, most well-known time travel movies. You've got, <clears throat> you've got, uh, you know, Back to the Future, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you know, About Time, Groundhog Day, the aforementioned Hot Tub Time Machine, you know, and those are like funny and goofy and lighthearted. And sure, you have more action time travel movies like. Terminator and Looper and Time Cop. Uh, but these are all white movies. All the characters are, are white, you know, and the moral and ethical considerations of time travel aren't really considered in any of these movies. You know, uh, the fact that there are moral or ethical considerations at all is at best implied. Um, so what does it mean to be a black time travel movie? Uh, apparently part of it is to have the direct question of moral and ethical considerations of time travel to be asked in the first lines of the movie. Uh, in other time travel movies, they talk about paradoxes and how you can't make changes to the past or run into your past selves, you know, but those are just warnings, right? Uh, these white characters are going to time travel regardless and wacky hijinks are going to ensue. You know, but black characters, you know, they're forced to think about the moral and ethical ramifications of their actions and every possible, you know, outcome, you know, kind of like how white kids are allowed to be kids, but a black 12 year old gets murdered by a cop while playing in a park. Uh, and so I think that's a really great point. And, you know, the movie has some Easter eggs or sort of nods to some sci-fi movies. So, of course, there's the Michael J. Fox cameo at the beginning of the movie. Uh, he's reading Kindred by Octavia Butler, mm -hmm. um, which is a novel that explores uh, time travel through a black feminist perspective. Uh, there's also a CJ is reading A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking throughout the film which is exciting, but the movie is also distinctly black. And I, I love this about the movie. And there's a lot of ways that this comes up in the movie. I'll mention a couple. So the movie's not only distinctly black, you know, our main characters are not only black, but CJ, she's African-American. Uh, her best friend, Sebastian, he's West Indian, specifically he's Guyanese. Um, and then their friend Eduardo is Puerto Rican. And so they're really showcasing um, a variety of black ethnicities in the movie, which I think is true to its setting in Brooklyn and New York City. And it's also exciting, you know, for them to 
to tease out these differences even within black communities. Another thing that I really love is, you know, we our, our characters are super smart. They're aspiring to go to college and they're aspiring to go to really excellent schools. And they mention not only MIT and Stanford, but also HBCUs like Morehouse and Spelman. And there's another character in the movie who's wearing a Spelman alumna t-shirt in the, in the background. And I think that's a really powerful messaging there that, you know, that HBCUs are esteemed institutions in the black community, that these are also elite, powerful institutions of higher education alongside Ivy League schools or your MIT and Stanford's. And it really helps sort of, you know, counter counteract these narratives of black institutions or black people as being inferior or less than, which I especially appreciated. And then, of course, there's things like the music in the film. There's a lot of reggae music, the language, you know, um, characters use the N-word. They're speaking in Patois in some cases. Eduardo and his family speak Spanish. Um, you see it in flags or colors that come up. And, you know, people are playing dominoes at the cookout. And so it just all feels like it's all part of this world building that is very true to a lot of black communities. And I really appreciate that feeling in the movie. Uh, and it, it actually reminds me of the opening sequence of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where Miles Morales is walking through his neighborhood on the way to school and immediately the music and the language and everything, you're immediately um, transported into this environment that feels very real and authentic. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think they did a great job with that in this movie. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we've reached the end <laughs> of our, our spoiler-free part of the podcast. Um, after this point, it is not spoiler-friendly. So if you <laughs> want to see this movie spoiler-free, you know, pause now, go watch it, and then come back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, three, two, one... <laughs> Spoilers. Okay, so I think we'll start off and we'll talk about something we often talk about with our episodes, which is what mm -hmm. did we like about this movie? Yeah. Um, and sort of continue on uh, what I was saying before about sort of the depiction of the setting and the culture. I really like how the community is portrayed. Right. Um, I talked more about sort of like aspects of the setting, but mm -hmm. in terms of how the characters relate to each other, that's another strength in this movie. And I think you talked about this, Mike, this idea that the characters... People are looking out for each other, yeah. supporting each other. Yeah, like I really enjoy the the relationships in this in this movie, and like that's sort of like a a, a catch all term, um, because there are a lot of different relationships, both sort of like between like one on one between characters, but also in sort of the the community at large. Um, like I really do love the portrayal of community in this movie. Like everyone's looking out for each other. You know, uh, Sebastian lives with his grandparents, and his grandparents are looking out for uh, Sebastian and CJ, uh, the two the two protagonists. Um, you know, and CJ and Sebastian have this side hustle going on where they fix and repair electronics for other people in the neighborhood, and they cut deals with like their friends and their neighbors. Like, okay, like you don't have to pay me full price mm -hmm. for this. Like, like I got you. You know. Um, Calvin, who's CJ's brother, you know, he's always looking out for, for CJ, trying like, hey, like, do better than me. Like, you don't want to end up like me, uh, who, you know, uh, uh, he's the next con, right? But what, but I, I'm not sure about that, but what I love about that is, you know, he, he's talking with CJ about her dreams of getting mm -hmm. out of there, and she says, you come with me, you know, right, it doesn't yeah. just have to be me getting out, let's go mm -hmm. together. Yeah, yeah, like that too. Um, 
you know, and then like you just have like this sort of portrayal of the community as a whole in sort of the the cookout in the middle of the movie, like just everyone's together and they're, they're barbecuing and making food and playing dominoes and just and just having fun and enjoying each other's company. And like that's one thing I just I always enjoy seeing that uh, in movies. Uh, so something I really like about this movie is that kids are allowed to be kids, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking specifically of CJ and Sebastian. And, you know, they're, they're super smart. We see them working on all these inventions. You know, we hear the way they talk about a lot of science stuff. You know, maybe we're, not all of us are understanding what they're talking about. But they're also just really silly with each other. You know, they're clowning around with each other at school and after school. We see them go to the bodega and they're, you know, arguing about what slushies they're going to get. Even their clothing is very vibrant and colorful. Lots of, you know, fun graphic t-shirts. And I just love, you know, seeing the fact that, yes, they're they're super smart, but they're kids. This is something that Eve Ewing does really well, too, with the Riri Williams character in the Ironheart comic, where she's wearing this black teen girl, and she does these things to remind you subtly that she's still a a teen girl you know Mm -hmm. so she takes off her suit and she's wearing converse sneakers things like that and i think this movie also does this and what's interesting is that they're kids but they're also forced to deal with some real serious issues they have these tense encounters with police officers there's police shootings that are occurring in their neighborhoods they have to attend funerals and deal with this trauma and we see the ways in which these kind of forces are disrupting their childhood and their adolescence. Mm-hmm. And but then I, they still have like the the normal, the, the quote unquote normal hardships of of being a kid. You know, like one one kid has a crush on DJ and mm-hmm. like he professes his love for her multiple times over the course of the movie. Uh, they're both worried about getting into college, not just like getting into college, but getting into like MIT or Stanford or Spelman or um, Morehouse, Morehouse, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's weird, you know, for someone who didn't have those more, uh, more adult problems of like dealing with like rough encounters with cops or poverty or... Um, any number of hardships that people in, you know, marginalized or, like, low-income communities do. It's, like, watching that, I think uh, someone like me has this sort of paternalistic view, like, like oh, like, you, you, you sympathize these people instead of trying to empathize with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, being like, oh, hey, like, they did have the same worries I did when I was, you know, 17, getting into college right. and, like, crushes and stuff. And now, but also this other stuff, like, okay, like, like that, that makes them more human, I think. And I think that sort of delicate balance between their sort of like, you know, their adolescence and then these, you know, these problems is that oftentimes in our society and in, in media, black kids and teens are not allowed to be kids and teenagers. Mm-hmm. So they go to school and they're perceived by teachers or other school administrators as being, you know... They're not looked at as kids. Oh, they look older than mm-hmm. their age or they're all these, you know, stereotypes are projected onto them. So to see, you know, a media representation that still retains those those facets of their childhood and mm-hmm. adolescence is really refreshing and important to counteract, you know, our tendency to not not give black kids and black teenagers the ability to be kids and teenagers. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I also really like, um, to go back to the relationship a little bit, I really enjoy just the relationship between CJ and Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Like, that relationship specifically. You know, there's just, there's no, there's no sort of, like, romantic undertones or anything. It's just pure platonic love. Like, they grew up with each other. They have this shared love of science, and they care about each other, and they look out for each other. Um, and that's just, like, refreshing to see between, you know, a male and female character. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of times, like, when you have that dynamic, there's this sort of, like, weird will-they-won't-they they thing. Mm-hmm. And there's there's none of that in this movie, and I really enjoy that. Um, Something else I really like about the movie, you know, we talk about how the movie balances sort of these hardships and then the fact that there's still, you know, joy and playfulness in the movie. I think the lighting and other aspects of the scenery really kind of bring that to the forefront. So mm-hmm. the movie is very colorful. It's very vibrant. It's very warm. Not only in like the characters' clothing, but mm-hmm. there's often scenes in people's rooms and things like that where it's very red and orange and yellow tones. Yeah. And I think this is something Spike Lee does a lot in his movies in particular and he's a producer on this movie so and he's also a mentor to the director so i wouldn't be surprised if his influence is there but i think what that does is it injects joy into you know sometimes bleak situations you know and it it conveys this idea that although the characters and you know their their neighborhoods may be under resourced they may be over policed there's still laughter there's still joy and happiness that exists and it just makes you feel good i think Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you, you get a you that the way the film was was shot. I think using, um, so you see you see some movies shot and they have like this blue or green hue in in all of the in all mm-hmm. the movie and it makes it seem very cold and bleak and like that's not in this movie, you know. And so between between having you know the warm colors. And sort of like the sense of community, um, it's, it's you know like it it's nice. It makes it it makes the the community like seem more you know real you know and and sort of like people like they do enjoy their lives. And I would say this movie feels so much grounded in reality that you almost forget that some elements are fictionalized. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not necessary to draw a comparison to Black Panther, but it's something I think about because something so many people enjoyed about that movie, at least from what I heard, is the fact that the world building with Wakanda, how Mm -hmm. it's so different from anything Mm -hmm. we've ever seen on screen before. It's so beautiful. Yeah, like you, you have this like beautiful uh like natural uh like so like landscapes and then you have like this technologically advanced city as opposed to what you a lot of times you see in in movies uh that have like primarily black uh Mm -hmm. like characters like this blighted cityscape and you know everything's just like poor and destitute and everything's just crumbling you know and so you don't have that in black panther and you don't have it here either well, you do have it here, but I feel like, you know, they inject... It's it's interesting to see the juxtaposition of that sort of setting that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And then they inject these, you know, the Real science life. fiction elements yeah. into it that, you know, remind you that, oh, wait, this isn't real, but it feels real. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it blurs the lines much more than a movie like Black Panther where this is clearly at least the scenes that are in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. This is clearly not, you know. Yeah, this isn't real life. Real. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So something else I liked, and I know that we have different opinions on this. I liked that they chose not to show the full circumstances that lead to mm-hmm. Calvin's death. Yeah. I like that, you know, when that scene, when it first happens, you know, screen cuts to black, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a reflection of the fact that when these events happen in real life, unless someone is recording it, mm-hmm. we often don't know the full circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it just to me is a reflection of our reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I also uh, like that they didn't show... Uh, the Calvin's murder, um, but I have a different sort of interpretation than than Anjali. So, like, I think they they did it on purpose. Like, it was a conscious choice by the director and the writers. And like, I don't think it was to show the sort of ambiguity that can happen in police shootings. Um, I think I think they did it out of respect for the audience. Um, I think they sort of presumed that the audience was going to be majority black, you know, and that showing this would be would be triggering. Like this is this is a reality of of black life, right? And so to show this on on screen, I think would upset people unnecessarily. And they they show it later, but I think I think it's a different it's like a different circumstance, right? Like it's sort of like the like the the climax, and it's showing a character doing something for another character, as opposed to if they if they had shown it in the beginning, it's just it's just event that mm-hmm. they didn't have to show. Like you know what happened, you know. And I think it, I think the 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 creators like well. A black man's death shouldn't be a spectacle for a non-black audience, you know. And I think if they, that it's kind of like what it would be a little bit, you know, if like just like just showing another black man dying on screen, like that doesn't need to happen, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, that is actually, that's kind of a discussion that's I've seen more recently mm-hmm. because in instances where people are able to record police shootings and constantly seeing footage of that on social media, mm-hmm. especially with how frequently these incidences happen. Right. And it's, it's almost gone to a point where people have not have at first the idea was by showing people, mm-hmm. they will be so moved and compelled to action. And then we've seen this happen enough times where that isn't necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And not only that, over time, people are becoming a little desensitized to right. these images. And so I think there is sort of this broader discussion about what is mm-hmm. the the purpose or utility of, you know, showing images and videos right. of police violence. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, so when you have, like, when someone's streaming something on Facebook Live or, you know, recording it, you know, to to YouTube or like, I think that's really important because then you have video evidence of what happened and you realize like, Hey, like this sort of narrative being told by, you know, uh, the police, you know, or, or like governments, like, is not really true? You know, like, 
Yes. Like, he, like, he, like oh, no, he wasn't running towards... No, he was running away. Like, you shot this dude in the back, you know? And, like, so having that is important. Um, but showing it in a fictionalized movie, I think... Like, it's not something that you have to do. And I think the, I think the filmmakers recognize this, you know, like people, people know what happened here. And, um, so like, why, why put something upsetting on the screen for no real benefit? Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, a, I think there's an argument to be made for showing it later on in the film when they did. Mm-hmm. But at this point in the movie, it's just, it's just kind of like gratuitous, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in general, I, I agree with that. Um, and I, I do think it's just important, whatever your interpretation of why, I think it's mm-hmm. worth emphasizing that this is a conscious yeah. choice yeah. And to kind of point those out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and slight aside, those cops are dumb. <laughs> like, I, I don't really see how you could confuse the suspects they were chasing with the with Calvin and Simpson, his friend. Like, they didn't look anything alike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> other, course, other than being black, you know. Well, that, I think that's the point. Yeah, like, yeah, that's. They're fair. not dumb. They're racist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that yeah, that's fair. So. So I think something that I've been eager to talk about with a lot of people who have seen this movie is, well, how do you interpret this ending? It's very polarizing. I have found there's so many different views on it being left open, and there's so many different interpretations. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of shocked. Uh, so like it's definitely it, abrupt. Um, it it is abrupt, but I'm like uh, when you talk about like the sort of um, the sort of polarizing aspect of it. Uh, so I I enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a good movie. I think it's it, it's weird to say you enjoyed a movie where you know it's about you know someone getting shot and like yes. not getting justice. Yes. Um, but for for the sake of brevity, I enjoyed this movie. And then, like, I remember looking on IMDb. It's got, like, a pretty mediocre rating. It's, like, six and a half out of ten. And so I think that show, goes to show you the sort of, like, the, the polarizing but nature of the I movie. I actually feel like the fact that people are upset by the ending and its abruptness mm-hmm. and its, you know, lack of a decisive conclusion is exactly the point. I think, that, right. again, talk mm-hmm. about deliberate choices on behalf of the yeah. directors and screenwriters i think that's how they want people to feel mm-hmm. i think they want you to feel upset to be unsettled and to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it's not resolved yeah. and i think that's a reflection of reality where we're at right now with the issue of police violence mm-hmm. it's not it hasn't we haven't come up with a good solution it's right. these things continue to happen and they're not resolved and i think they want you to sit with that reality and mm-hmm. be compelled towards some sort of action um and so I think I think the fact that people feel that way, it's like job well done. We did exactly, you know, that's the chord we wanted to strike in people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we talk about how this, uh, like the like police brutality, uh, especially in marginalized communities, is, is still a big thing. Um, and it's happening all the time. And, and so, like with that in mind. Like, I think about the the ending of this movie, you know, and despite all the things we like about this movie, and despite that there's this big se- this sense of community among the characters, and despite, you know, how warm a lot of the shots look, mm-hmm. I don't think this is a hopeful movie, right? Um, like, we, uh, you know, a, a black man gets shot, which is... 
like a you know a twice a day occurrence you know like the the statistics on on police shootings it's a thousand people a year that's three a day and even in the movie early mm-hmm. on in the movie there there had just been a police shooting yeah. that had happened in the right. neighborhood yeah um so like this is this is that's the reality uh that that we live in and that these characters live in you know and so here comes this this thing like oh we can we can fix this one you know and so cj and sebastian try and stop it and they fail you know and so okay well we know how to we know how to fix it so they go back a second time and sure they saved calvin that time but then sebastian gets shot and killed you know and so then cj has to go back a third time and so she saves Sebastian this time, but again, Kelvin is shot and killed. And it feels like there's just this sense of inevitability. You know, bad things are going to happen and people are going to die. And I don't think that's that's particularly hopeful, you know. I think, and I think that's a valid interpretation. And I think there's some interesting choices. There's some dialogue in the movie, so... During the attempt in which CJ goes back, she saves Calvin, but Sebastian dies. And so we sort of, she goes back to the present. Sebastian is dead. They have a funeral. Mm -hmm. She has a conversation with her older brother, Calvin. He says, this whole time I've been feeling like it was supposed to be me. Mm -hmm. Then we see in a later attempt, uh, I think it's the final attempt between CJ and Sebastian. And they go back and right before her brother and his friends encounter with the police... Calvin says, I've just, something feels off today. And I think they put those in there to Mm -hmm. sort of, to play into these interpretations that it's inevitable, that, you know, perhaps life is unfair. Sometimes Mm -hmm. bad things happen. You can't avoid it. Mm -hmm. But I think there's more to it than that, frankly. Because I think there's a couple things you could say. So what is inevitable? Police violence is inevitable, at least in this current reality. Mm -hmm violence in general because what's interesting is that in the case where they go back and Sebastian is the one that is killed he's not killed by the police in that instance he's he's shot and killed by the robbers Mm -hmm. in in the store and I think in some ways there's a little bit of a commentary there on sort Mm -hmm. of like intra-community police intra-community violence Mm -hmm. you know it's not just all all violence in the community is attributed to police Mm -hmm. or something outside the community but that also you know there's violence among community members which is interesting because you know oftentimes you know in conversations around police violence Mm -hmm. a common refrain you'll hear from white people is oh you 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 guys want to protest police violence what about you know black people kill black people every day and you have nothing to say about it which is Obviously not it's, true. It's a it's a garbage argument because the majority of, of, of violent crimes committed against white people are committed by white people. Well, you know, so like, well that's it's the also way that, just not true that black people don't care about that. Yeah, black oh, people yeah, organize right. and mobilize and uh-huh. try to, you know, take back mm-hmm. their communities and, you know, yep. so it's just not like, true at all that we don't come out and protest and take a stand against, you mm-hmm. know, violence that happens within our communities. That's just not true at all. And any anyone who lives in a, in a black community in this country knows mm-hmm. that. Um but I still think it's interesting that they put that in there. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'm getting a little off topic that I appreciate is we keep talking about police brutality and police violence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to note that in this movie, it's not just the police shootings. Mm-hmm. It's also these everyday encounters they have with the police that don't result 
in a shooting, right. but still contribute to the hostility and the tension between the police officers and community members. Mm -hmm. So, for example, early on in the movie, when Calvin and CJ are, you know, having their little brother-sister fight, you yeah. know, that that is read by these police officers nearby as, what's going on, you know, like, that it's aggressive and it's threatening, that they just have to immediately read that as threatening. And I think it's also interesting that of the police that they encounter in the film, not all are white. Some of them are people of color. And I think that, again, is an intentional choice that this is not about, you know, white police officers or a couple bad apples, so to speak. This is an issue of over-policing. It's an issue of police overstepping their boundaries. It's about policing as an institution. Mm -hmm. It's not about these individual police officers. Um, so I appreciate that the movie allows for these types of conversations. I think there were a lot of really intentional choices made that allow for a complex conversation about violence mm -hmm. um, and sort of the sources of it. And then this inevitability of, you know, how do we disrupt the cycle of violence in the community? Can we? Yeah, I think it also it also uh, says something about what it's like being black in America and our current um, sort of like social political climate, I guess. Um, you know, if you've read, if you've read Kindred and I haven't read the book, but like I have an idea of like, like I, like I know what it's about and everything. And sort of like one of the, one of the premises of the book is that being black the history of of black people in America is just sort of it, like it's always there, you know, like what like the oppression that you know black people have had to 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 live through, like for the entirety of like the the country's history, you know, and so like if you're black, history just takes a part of you, you know, and I think that's kind of like something similar is shown uh, in in this in this movie where if you're black like your mere existence just like just living life just it just it just takes a part of you because of, of like the injustices uh you know that that black people have to face from everywhere mm. <laughs> pretty much you know um you know so again like that's why I, I i don't think it's a particularly hopeful movie and like i guess like CJ, like, CJ goes back and, you know, a final time. Like, that's the end of the movie. Like, it shows her on this on this last trip back, um, you know, and it's just a, a long shot of her of her running towards presumably the the corner where her brother gets shot by the cops trying to, to fix it again, you know, and then it just sort of, like, cuts to black and you don't know whether or not she succeeds, you know. My interpretation is that she doesn't. I don't think that's a particularly hopeful ending to the movie, like the way the way it was shot. Like I, I just don't think that she succeeds. I don't um, think she succeeds, but I don't think she's going to stop trying. Right. Like yeah, and like I and guess. How can she? And, and, and that's true. Like I guess there's honor in the fight because like what other choice do you have to not fight and just deal with this like that's not a way to live that's not a way to to make the world better for you and your and your offspring and your community you know i just i just i don't know like i just feel like this watching the movie like this the, the sense of inevitability just like weighs on me like i just don't 
I don't know. <laughs> like, that's just how, I, you know? Um, I mean, I also feel that way, too, where it's like the one attempt in which they're able to save Calvin, mm-hmm. Sebastian dies. Yeah. And it's like, is the message that someone someone is going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think another interpretation is a kind of an honest reckoning with the limits of technology. Yeah. I think we tend to think of technology as being inherently progressive, you mm-hmm. know, especially 21st century. <laughs> it's all about, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like as if technology can solve all of our problems is often sort of the narrative. And I think this movie is challenging us to say that there are some problems that technology cannot solve or undo. We can't invent our way toward racial justice. Yeah. And I think, in particular, Sebastian's character in the film cautions a lot about the the use and potential misuse of technology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there may be unforeseen consequences. And he's the one in the end who's sort of like, no, we can't keep doing this. We have to stop. We tried. You know, there's too much at stake. Mm-hmm. And... I think what's also interesting to keep in mind is they don't invent time travel for the purpose of using it toward this end. Mm -hmm. They are trying to invent time travel, one, because they're passionate about science and technology, Mm -hmm. and two, because they're trying to get into college. So it's interesting. They're trying to get like the the scholarship. Right, exactly. So it's interesting that that's sort of what they're focused on, and then they're sort of forced to think about how can we use this, you know. Mm -hmm. To address this injustice, right, that's, which kind of like shows the like the life of of you know like black young adults, you know like they can't be young adults. They can't just like go to school and hang out and go to the mall and just like listen to music and do and be kids. Like sure they can do that, but they also have to grapple with this. Like oh hey, what are the moral and ethical ramifications of this technology that we just invented? Mm-hmm. You know, which I mean. I get those like those are reasonable like things to think about because <laughs> like if t- like Michael J. Fox at the end of the movie is right like if time travel is invented, it's, that's a whole can of worms of of ethical considerations you have to think about. But I mean, I think having I, I think it's interesting having kids invent this this technology, especially you know black kids because again it just goes to show that they have this weird sort of like dichotomous life of like being kids but also having to deal with these very uh, like deep and adult things you know yeah i i mean absolutely and i i think there are a lot of black people in a lot of different fields with a lot of different interests who say that you know in in some way shape or form this question of social justice always comes up in their work regardless of their profession or industry or what they're doing that's mm-hmm. just reality for not only you know black people but other oppressed and marginalized people it's always this sort of sense of responsibility how can i take what i care about or what i like to do and put it toward mm-hmm. you know helping my community yeah you sort of all ages that is that's just a reality mm-hmm. um and i think they sort of they sort of show that here uh in a very kind of subtle way mm-hmm. um what do you think so one of one of the questions that I had, or like one of the things I thought the movie was trying to say, maybe is like this isn't a problem like black people can solve alone. Um, like I like I'm tr- like I've been struggling with how to 
like ask this question or or you know discuss this and as it relates to this movie you know it's i mean there's this there's, there's like one white character in this movie michael j fox at the beginning you know which you mentioned you know off air that it, that, that that black people live in hyper segregated communities right so <laughs> yeah but also sort of you know but every single one of these attempts to uh, uh you know fix uh this problem to prevent calvin's death and to prevent sebastian's death you know is is an attempt by black people and they all fail, you know. So, I guess no. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm gonna say right now, I don't think that there's that's a valid interpretation uh-huh. because there's nothing in the movie that suggests that if there's a white person around, that they would be more. There's nothing to yeah, indicate that they I'm, would be more I'm successful. I'm really, I'm really happy that that didn't happen because it like shows like it. I think it would be a very sort of. Um, Again, paternalistic thing like, oh, like you need the white man's it's help. Not some, you know, you know, Hillary Swank movie like right? or some other. No, I, yeah. I don't think that that's what's going on. I uh-huh. don't think that that is supposed to be the point. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're the movie is taking place in a world where black kids are able to invent time travel, which is mm-hmm. you know something that white male scientists have been trying to do mm-hmm. for a long time. I don't think that it's meant right. to be a commentary on the role or potential role of people outside of black communities intervening in these problems. I I, I don't really see anything in the movie that lends like mm-hmm. like credibility to that interpretation. Okay. That, that's fair. Um yeah, like I said, like I that's not an interpretation I like, but it's something that I thought of as I was watching watching this movie. You know, and like like slight aside like i think like i do think there's the problem that like uh black people can't solve by themselves but only in that like this problem can't be solved until you know like white people are like hey we do racist stuff we need to stop being racist you know like <laughs> or it, it can't be solved until we reckon with uh, capitalism or mm-hmm. the property system in this right. country an obsession with private property mm-hmm. or we sort of undo oh, yeah. policing well, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot and, yeah so yeah. I think I mean it, there, it requires a you know complete transformation of our institutions mm-hmm. and economic social and political so it's not it's not even a matter of just you know individuals deciding to like white police officers deciding to reform because the the institution is set up in my view to protect private property yeah, and, and not property people. rights and and the, the it goes deeper than that but yes black people cannot solve police brutality on our own yeah but that, is, but that, but that is not that was not the point of of this movie i'm gonna say I, absolutely not yeah <laughs> yeah so we talked about how the the ending was kind of polarized uh, do we want to talk about CJ? Yes. Let's let's talk about our protagonist, CJ. Mm-hmm. Which I think it's important noting. I mean, I don't. It's obvious, but it's also not obvious. CJ is named after Madam CJ Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I didn't know scientist. that until you, until you told me. I, I realized this in the movie. I was like, oh my god, that's that's brilliant. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm I'm sure there's even more. Uh, little things like that in the movie that we haven't even thought about, but yeah, little nerd touches. Like I like, I think one of her shirts, uh, it was a Wonder Woman shirt, except it was a black Wonder Woman. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's what it was. I, like, My favorite not... T-shirt of CJ's was the NASA one that said, "I need space." <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you would like that. Shirt. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so I think uh, in the conversations I know that you've had, you get the feeling that CJ is a very polarizing character. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. So, especially early on in the movie, there's a number of situations in which characters tell CJ she has a bad temper. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, she's she makes rash, impulsive decisions. She doesn't think things through. She doesn't listen to the people around her. Her older brother, Calvin, mm-hmm. tells her this. Sebastian tells her this. Yeah. Um, we hear this out quite a bit, just even, I would say, in the first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple things with that. It sort of plays into stereotypes of angry black girls. Yeah. Angry black women. Uh, which... I think there's so much more to CJ's character. She's mm-hmm. she's super smart. She's determined. She's incredibly hardworking. She's visionary. She's passionate. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like all of that sort of gets collapsed because, yeah. you know, we're interpreting her the way we hear the characters around her talking about mm-hmm. her. And so I've heard people bring that up. And, you know, and then there's people who say that because of that, the way she's framed in the beginning of the movie, that some of the reason that their time travel attempts are not successful are not be- for all the reasons we talked about of inevitability or sort of the, the you know unforeseen consequences of time travel. It's Some people say, no, it's her fault. She's mm-hmm. impulsive. She goes into that corner store and Sebastian mm-hmm. gets killed when he tells her. Don't go in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, f- in full disclosure, I like I am one of those people. Not that I think that, uh, you know, Sebastian getting killed is her fault or Calvin getting killed is her fault because, she, like, she's not the one that pulled the trigger. But I do think there... Like, I make the comparison to, like, comics Peter Parker, right? Where I think the, the very first trip back and Anjali's shaking her head at me right now. She doesn't agree with me, but you know that's this is the show. <laughs> um, I think the very first trip back when they found out that the technology works, you know, and she went into the bodega and got that that slushy and threw it at Jared. That was sort of uh, that was sort of her letting Uncle Ben's killer get away moment, you know. Um, I think that was sort of the first domino. And like I'll concede that it's not fair because there's a whole lot of what ifs between that and when, you know, Calvin gets shot. But I I still think that's part like like that's an element to it, you know. Um She's a kid. I, I no, I She's and, <laughs> see these are children. She is playing around with slushy, and yes, it's it's silly of her to do that. Like, of course. But again, that shows that the fact that they're kids, first mm-hmm. of all. And second of all, like, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm not going to concede the fact that that, you know, sets off a chain of events that leads to her brother's murder. Because there's a, we can always do this. We can always mm-hmm. say, oh, if her brother had taken a different route or yeah. if the, a different yeah. police officer was I mean, working that day or if the, we can do that with yeah. everything okay like i said there's a whole lot of what ifs between the slushy and and calvin getting murdered what i think is unfortunate is that a lot of um how people viewed her character i have found shapes how they view the message and the takeaways of the movie mm-hmm. so if you feel like oh her character is so annoying she's so impulsive she doesn't listen to anyone mm-hmm. Some people feel that way, I've heard, and then they feel, well, they would have been successful if it hadn't been for her. Right. And I think if you get fixated and, on that, yeah. you lose sight of the larger mm-hmm. takeaways right. from this movie. And yeah, and I don't, like, I don't think that's the case. I think they were able to be 
as successful as they were because of because of her being you know stubborn and and brash and impulsive you know um like it's like she's super smart like she goes big right and like she kind of doesn't give a damn about the moral and ethical ramifications of time travel her brother was shot and killed like that is immoral and like (laughs) so she's like i like I can fix this, or she thinks she can fix this, you know, and so she she does, she tries, you know, and so, like, I like that about her, um, and I think, I think they were able to, like, you know, almost succeed, I guess, you know, b- because of her, of her drive, you know, so, yeah, like, it's, I don't know. I like I am internally polarized about <laughs> CJ's character myself. But I think ultimately like I do like her even if I wanted to get off my lawn. <laughs> like I'm just I'm just old, you know. And I also think too, so again, because of the way she's like framed in the beginning of the movie by her, her brother and her friend is oh you're hot tempered, you don't listen to anybody, that can be true. Mm-hmm. You know? But I think the instances of her not listening to people throughout the movie where, you know, Sebastian's mm-hmm. saying, we need to give this up. This is not working. Mm-hmm. That's not a case, I don't think, so much of a, a like a, a character flaw if she doesn't listen to people. I think that's a reflection of this is her brother. You know, Sebastian mm-hmm. cares about her a lot. And, you know, by extension, her brother, her family. But it's different when it's your family member. And I think... Anyone in that situation is not going to be willing to give up. But it's like we especially read more into it that somehow her character flaw, because we see examples of her, you know, not listening and not, you know, giving up early in the movie that have nothing to do with their time Mm -hmm. travel attempts. And so I think it's unfortunate. I part of it, I think, is maybe some. Some if I had to be critical of the, the director and screenwriters, I think maybe they don't. Didn't do a great job of writing a black female character. You know, mm-hmm. Spike Lee, Stefan Bristol. I know that Stefan had a co-writer, mm-hmm. Frederica Bailey. But, I mean, I don't know. I think that's a, that's an issue. This yeah. has also come up with the Shuri and the Ironheart comics where it's like, finally, black women writing black teen girls in a way that mm-hmm. is complex and nuanced and it's great. And I think maybe here they struggled to, you know, fully f- flesh out their protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's an, another argument I heard that they kind of don't like that <sighs> CJ, the, the black girls out here fighting so hard to save these black men mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, throughout the movie, people try to c- encourage her not to or, you know, by the end, Sebastian's like, look, I'm done. And it's like, you know, it kind of plays into these narratives sometimes where, like black women have to save black men. Like we always have to do that. It's our responsibility. No one else is going to help us. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was a little frustrated in the end. Yeah. It's like on the one hand, I understand why Sebastian's like, no, I'm not doing this no more. I freaking died. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Like, no, we're, we're done. We're, this has gone far enough. But on the other hand, I was kind of like disappointed. Like that he was just like not... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had given up also. Yeah. And, like, I wonder if um, you could sort of, like, interpret, like, that last scene of her running and if just being a long, a, a long shot and, you know, the sort of ambiguity and everything, sort of a commentary on maybe the sort of, like, 
like internal like sense of obligation among black women to save to save black men or to like save their community you know or to better their community like you know like almost like that's inevitable as well this this desire this this sense of obligation to to fix things i mean yes yes possibly i again although i think if it was anyone's brother like Mm -hmm. yeah you're not gonna stop trying yeah uh and i saw I either listened to or I read, I can't remember the medium, uh, an interview with the director where he was saying that kind of what he hopes people take away from that, that last scene of her running is that she needs your help. Whoever you are, she needs your help. You need to join her in this fight. Mm-hmm. And so, I again, I really like, I like the ending a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I like, all in all, CJ, she was a little annoying to me at times, but all in all, I, mm-hmm. I had a lot of respect and admiration for CJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think. I guess the... So, something else I want to talk about really quickly is we talked about the various interpretations of the ending and why they haven't been successful. Something else that I think is interesting to consider is the scene in which Sebastian is shot and killed. Because I think there's some layers of nuance in that scene. And so, again, people who don't like CJ's character, they interpret that scene as, oh, if CJ wasn't so rash and impulsive, then Sebastian, you know, then she wouldn't have ran into that corner store and, you know, Sebastian wouldn't have been killed, basically. But I think there's much more to it than that, which, again, if you're kind of reading the the sequence of events in the movie through however you feel about her character, you miss out on these things. So something I think is worth bringing up is in that particular uh, time travel uh, attempt, they first get there and she calls the cops on her phone. She's yeah. this is before yeah. the robbers have even come in the yeah. store, I think. Pops out of the wormhole. First thing she does is pull out a phone. And, and guess tra- what? They get to the corner store and she's like, oh, the cops still aren't here, which is interesting because all throughout the movie they're there harassing people and shooting people, but mm-hmm. when they actually call them and need them, they're not there. And <laughs> and if they had been showed up, maybe they would have been successful in that time. Uh so I think there's a commentary there. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing is that, of course, another reason that the sequence of, of events in that scene is, you know, there are time travel rules that you're not, you're supposed to avoid encounters with your past self. And mm-hmm. so they, you know, they get confused because Sebastian is like, CJ, what are you doing in the store? Like, wait, what's going on? Are you doing this without me? And mm-hmm. so that stirs up, you know, a, a mess. And so it's like, you know, these time travel rules that they have to be mindful of and navigate um, along with the, all the other factors. And so mm-hmm. I think even just taking a small scene like that and pulling apart the layers, yeah. it allows for these these discussions that we're having right now. It's complex why they're not successful in their attempts, why things go wrong. There's mm-hmm. so much that goes into it. And I think that it's important that discussions of the movie honor that complexity mm-hmm. and be willing to try to, you know, uh, untangle the, these layers of what's happening. Yeah. So... Yeah, we talked about the um, like the the rules of time travel, and as I, as I was watching this movie, I was making notes, and one of the notes I had made was like they seem to pay just pay like a lip service to the the, the quote unquote rules of time travel, you know, and then all of a sudden this whole thing where like they meet one of their past selves and things get get tricky and weird, like like that happen, and. 
don't know, like my, I, as sort of like a, a storytelling um, observation, is I think they do pay a sort of lip service to the rules of time travel. Mm. Um, like every time they go back, they they come up, they come up with this thing like, oh, if we just pump all this energy into this mm-hmm. doohickey, you know, <laughs> our previous attempt is going to be reset. Like, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> like I, but. The, yeah, so like it's a lip service to to the rules of time travel, but then when the rules of time travel matter, like they sort of bring it in, and it's kind of like this weird, like double standard sort of thing. But like I don't care because they they use those rules of time travel to tell a more compelling story. Yeah, yeah, as we often say, you know, there's, you know, sometimes, especially time travel, you know, you have to suspend yeah. disbelief about something. Yeah. <laughs> so like. I, I mentioned in the in the Endgame episode where, like, I kind of don't care about the sort of inconsistencies as long as I get a good story out of it. And, like, ultimately, like, I think that's what this movie is. Like, it was a compelling story. It was an interesting story. At times, it was a fun story, even though at times it mm-hmm. really wasn't and, like, kind of, like, depressing and, and sad and, like, makes you angry. Um, but, yeah, so, like, like, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And as much as you can enjoy something. I, I enjoyed this movie, and I will say I have equally enjoyed my conversations with people about it. And mm-hmm. that's for me kind of, you know, I, I really enjoy a movie or a TV show where it, it, it prompts the types of discussions we're having mm-hmm. now. And discussions that have relevance to our reality. Yeah. Especially science fiction movies. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why we're doing this podcast. And that's why I think this this movie is it's a perfect topic for this podcast. I want to make a, a quick plug before we wrap up this episode, which is there's a recent episode of the Twilight Zone that mm-hmm. is very a very similar premise where it, it deals with uh, a time travel machine in the form of a camcorder, where if you press rewind on the camcorder, it allows you to go back in time. Mm-hmm. And it deals with a, a single black mother trying to take her son to his first day of college and she has this cam, this this special camcorder, in order to document their journey to to drop them off at school, and they can't seem to avoid a terrible encounter with a police officer. Mm-hmm. And they go back. The mom goes back, and she tries multiple ways to try to avoid this lethal encounter with a police officer. And no matter what she does, mm-hmm. she is unsuccessful. And I think it's really interesting that. Uh, so the episode is called Replay, uh, uh, so you should check it out. Yeah, it's and on, I, uh, on CBS All Access. Yes, and I think I think it's kind of telling, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we spent this episode talking about this movie, but then to see another uh, kind of piece of media dealing mm-hmm. with such similar themes right. is, I think... Well, a, I mean, to be fair, the the showrunner for the new incarnation of Twilight Zone is, is Jordan Peele, he of uh, Get Out fame. Right, and, but I think... I think it's exciting. I mean, it's, I mean, watching that episode was Mm -hmm. even harder than watching this movie. It's really, it's incredibly upsetting. I will, you know, Mm -hmm. offer that. But to, on the other hand, it's, it's exciting to see these conversations happening. And I I imagine that this is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful that we're living in a time where we're seeing some really great black science fiction stories being told, especially in more popular mediums, like, Mm -hmm. uh, tv and movies 
And I hope that this is just the first of many discussions about kind of the, the complexities of our moment as well as possibilities for a different type of future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of these other stories, um, so I know Anjali has admitted to being uh, sort of like a nerd newbie, right? So she doesn't have like that wealth of knowledge and I'm white. So I don't really have these connections either. So if you know of any um, compelling uh, black science fiction and fantasy authors, writers, directors, uh, stories, comics, whatever. Let us know because we wanna we wanna read and watch and 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 you know absorb these stories and and hopefully talk about them. Um, if there's any other uh, topic you'd like us to to talk about, feel uh, feel free to let us know. You can find us uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at. Uh, nerd versus nerd pod. Uh, that's nerd vs nerd uh, pod. You can also email us at nerd vs nerd pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, and check out our website, nerd vs nerd. Yeah, nerd, yeah, nerd vs nerd pod, uh, dot com. Oh, it's just nerd vs. Oh, no, just, no, both domains go oh, to the both, site. Both domains. So you go to nerd versus nerd dot com or nerd versus nerd pod dot com. Um, and they go to they go to our website. Uh, we have quick little bios. Um, we have links to all of our um, previous episodes. All, yeah, all of our previous episodes. Uh, links to our like iTunes and Google Play uh, pages. Um, speaking of, if you like us, uh, subscribe, leave us a review. That helps us because we would like more listeners so we can have conversations with you guys. You know, um, so yeah, interact with us. Uh, that that's another reason we started this podcast. Like we enjoy having these conversations with each other, so we want to have these conversations with other people too. All right. So do you have anything le- uh, left to say? No, I think you said it all. Ah, perfect. All right. We'll see you next time. Later.